This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on the Nicene Creed. Please be seated. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the entire chapter. Listen to the word of the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time, before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. So I'm wifeless today. My dear wife, Michelle, is off in Lyon, France, the food capital of France and therefore the world, practicing her French language. And I have to say she went with some trepidation and reluctance, leaving the three of us behind. And she reminded me repeatedly, Bart, you will not forget to feed the children, will you? I promised they will be fed, they will be fed, and I hope they have been. But every time Michelle goes somewhere, we like to choose a television series that kind of matches the mood of her absence. And so this week, PJ and Solange and I have been watching this series called Alone. I don't know if any of you have seen this series. The first season, which we're watching, was filmed in 2015. Uh, It's set in the northwest corner of Vancouver Island on the Pacific coast of British Columbia in Canada. And there's 10 different competitors, 10 men, and each of them are put on a separate kind of peninsula or island. They can't access each other. They each get to choose 10 items for survival. 
And then they're just left alone. And at any time, they can radio in and a helicopter or a boat will collect them and remove them and they're out of the competition. The first person lasted 12 hours, 36 hours for the next person. It became more and more grim. And this survival show was kind of a mixture really between survival and horror as that night, the black bears would come out snuffling around people's tents and freaking out the, the so-called survival experts. And then it began to rain. And British Columbia is really just a gigantic rainforest. It's lush and green, and there are these huge cedars and prehistoric ferns, but it rains and rains and rains and rains. And for days, these competitors were just in their tent, zipped up in their sleeping bag, no point wasting any energy or any calories or any warmth, just trying to huddle down and survive as the rain and the gray and the cold and the chill threatened to take over. It was at this point that one of the competitors who was, had an American military background and worked in Africa and was used to harsh conditions, he realized, I'm losing my mind here. I'm about to go crazy. And he got himself evacuated off, off his little island. And then finally, after days and days of cold drizzle and biting wind, the sun came out. And all these people came down to their little beaches, and they opened up their arms to the warmth and to the light of the sun. Some of them even taking off their shirts just to drink in with their entire bodies the reinvigorating rays of the sun. And one of the guys, the chubby one, he was chubby when the show started anyways, he's starting to seriously slim down. He started breaking down and crying, saying, I love the sun so much. And when I saw that, it made me think, of course, of the Holy Spirit. And his ministry, what he wants to do for every human being in blowing away the dark clouds of sin and death and revealing the love and the holiness and beauty of God, which is our life. So we can be there and bask and soak in and be restored and be reinvigorated and be resurrected by the presence of God. That is what every human being needs most desperately. And man, it's grim going without the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's grim slogging in our lives without his manifest presence. But when he appears, when he reveals himself, when he reveals the Father through the Son, we find strength and joy and hope pouring into our dry, cold bones. You know, we've been working our way through the Nicene Creed, this ancient, ancient confession of faith. We've talked about the Father, the Creator. We've spent many weeks thinking about Jesus, the Son. But now as we come to the Holy Spirit, we need to remember that apart from the Spirit of God, everything we've been talking about is just words. They're just theological statements about ideas and abstractions, maybe even about realities, but realities that are far from us and have little to do with our hearts and with our lives. And I want to say that the truth itself is inert and dead and useless without the fire of the Holy Spirit, without the Spirit of God himself drawing near and opening us up to receive from him. 
And it's so important that we move from assenting to doctrinal statements, important as that is, I don't want to belittle that, but we want to move from that to actually rejoicing in gospel realities. Not just gospel realities out there, but realities in here. My late grandfather, who I love to talk about, was a baker by profession, and he learned his trade at night school in Amsterdam in the 1930s. And they taught trades very differently back then, because one of the courses he went through in night school was history of ovens from Roman times to the present. Back in those days, bakers had a strong theoretical foundation, which somehow, I suspect, is not taught anymore. My grandfather apparently knew a lot about ovens and how they were made and how they were developed and so on and so forth. But all that knowledge of ovens would not be useful at all, would not feed you at all. You need to actually take the bread and bite into through the crust of that loaf and taste and chew and swallow and digest the bread of life. And this is what the Holy Spirit has been given to help us do, to actually absorb everything that God has poured upon us through his grace. As Paul says and said in the chapter that Anne just read to us, the Spirit has been given so that we may understand what God has freely given us. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12. So that we can understand, so that we can experience with all of our being everything that God has graced us with in his son. Jesus would have died and risen for nothing if he had not also poured the spirit upon the world when he ascended. So let's read this beginning of this third section of the Nicene Creed, which I believe will magically appear on the screen behind me. We confess together, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. Now, the Nicene Creed was actually developed in two phases. There was the Council of Nicaea in 325, where really the divinity of Jesus was really hammered out. The heretic Arius was put to flight by the way, it's St. Nicholas Day today or tomorrow. Sinterklaas, any Dutch people celebrate Sinterklaas? Um, and St. Nicholas was, you may not know, one of the great heroes um, defending the divinity of Jesus, who famously, according to legend, punched Arius in the face when Arius grew too blasphemous. So there you go. That's what happened in 325 at this council. And at the time, all they included in the original creed was, we believe in the Holy Spirit. It was kind of a placeholder, a sticky note just like what the Apostles' Creed says. We believe in the Holy Spirit, but nothing was said about him. Nothing was defined or clarified. That would wait till later. And then over the next 40 or 50 years, people began to think, what, what does it mean to say we believe in the Holy Spirit? Let's gather together and organize and synthesize everything that Scripture says so we can come to some kind of shared understanding of the Spirit whom God has given us. And the first thing we learn in the Nicene Creed is that the Spirit has the title of Lord. Along with the Father and with the Son, the Holy Spirit shares the title of Supreme Lord 
over all things. There is a massive gulf between the creator on the one hand and the creatures on the other hand. And yes, there are grades of distinction in between in among what God has created with animals and human beings and angels and principalities and powers and all sorts of divine hierarchies over on that side. But there's a huge Canyon between even the very highest of angelic and spiritual beings and God himself. And scripture is very clear. The Holy spirit belongs on this side, the creator side of that divide. He is no creature. He is no angel. He is Lord and God himself. There's a very striking proof of this in the book of acts. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira the people who pretended they had sold their proper, all their property and given it to the church and they were lying about it. And they get summoned before Peter and the other apostles. And Peter asks them, why have you lied to the Holy spirit? You have not lied to men, but to God. That's in acts chapter five, lying to the Holy spirit is the same as lying to God because the Holy spirit is God. And this title Lord also points to the fact that the spirit is not just God, but he is a person. I know there are a lot of images in the Bible about the Holy spirit that use this language of a force, like images of wind and fire and water, but the spirit also speaks and he loves and he's grieved and he can be lied to just like a person. So we don't want to speak of the Holy spirit, like the force in star Wars. Do you remember Obi-Wan Kenobi saying to Luke Skywalker, the force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. We're not talking about that sort of mysterious life force. We're talking about a person whom we can know and we can love and we can have fellowship and communion with. What we're really getting at here as we come to this third section of the creed is the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe in one God in three persons, father, son, and Holy spirit. And each of these persons is fully God. The father is fully God. The son is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. They're not each one-third God that somehow make up God. Each of them are fully God because they share one being together. And yet, the Father is not the Son or the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son. They are distinct persons in the mystery of the Godhead. And what distinguishes them is that the Father is the one who begets the Son and who breathes forth the Spirit. And the son is the one who's begotten and the spirit is the one who is breathed out or who proceeds from the father as the creed says. Proceeds from the father. That's language. The creed is just picking up biblical language from John 15 verse 26, where Jesus says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me, even in our chapter, first Corinthians chapter two, the spirit who is from God, the son and the spirit are both eternal, uncreated. There was never a time when the word of the spirit were not 
And yet, in some way, we cannot possibly comprehend, both derive their being and their deity from the Father. And St. Irenaeus described the Father, described the Son and the Spirit as the two arms by which the Father embraces us. This double gift of Son and Spirit that the Father gives to draw us close to his heart. And we find in Scripture that whoever one member of the Trinity is, whoever one person is, the other two are always there with him. The Father never operates without the Son or the Spirit. The Son never operates without the Father or the Son. And the Spirit is never off doing his own thing apart from the Father and the Son. Undivided operations. And really, the good news of the gospel at the deepest, most profound level is you and I being brought into communion with the Trinity. Brought into the communion of the Trinity. And we could say the gospel is simply Jesus sharing his own relationship with the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God has sent his Son and sent his Spirit to draw you in to participation in the life and the fellowship of God. So what is the Holy Spirit up to? What is his role? How is God, how is he helping us participate in everything that God has for us? Well, the creed gives us a couple strong hints. One is that the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. Do you know where the Holy Spirit is first mentioned in the Bible? The very second verse. Genesis 1, chapter 2. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters as though he were brooding, tending, nurturing, summoning forth life and order and beauty out of the primeval chaos. And then God creates Adam from the dust. He molds him together. And then Genesis tells us that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You need to know the Hebrew word for breath is also the word for wind and also the word for spirit. Breath, wind, spirit. And the first human being did not come to life until his material physical body was filled with the breath of God's spirit, which gave him life. And then jumping Far forward over vast swaths of the Old Testament, we find before the birth of Jesus, the life-giving Holy Spirit comes and he overshadows the Virgin Mary, enabling her to conceive and to give birth to the incarnate word. And then when Jesus dies and is lying cold and stiff in the tomb, it is the Spirit of God who breathes resurrection life into his body as he rises from the dead. And then in the book of Acts, it's the life-giving spirit who descends in tongues of fire on the apostles and the first believers at Pentecost, giving power and victory to the new church that has been birthed. And really every single person here who belongs to Jesus 
has breathed in the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit. You've been born from above by the free and sovereign wind who blows where he wills. And every single person here who is a Christian is only a Christian because the Spirit has given new life to you. And what's going to happen at the last day when the trumpet sounds and Christ, Christ descends? We are going to share in his own resurrection as the Spirit of God gives life to our mortal bodies. And then in the New Jerusalem, we will stand before the throne of God, drinking and drinking and drinking of the river of life that flows from God's throne. The river of life that Jesus himself taught us is the Holy Spirit of God. All along, the Holy Spirit is fulfilling the promise of Jesus to give us life and to give us life abundantly. A promise that is still operative today, that the Holy Spirit is actually fulfilling in our midst, even now giving and sustaining and renewing life. And we just need to remind ourselves it's beyond our power to give ourselves life, right? We begin dead in our trespasses and sins like Lazarus in the tomb. And it's only when we're summoned forth by Jesus and the spirit miraculously causes us to rise that we can stand before God. And God wants to give his Holy Spirit today to anyone here who was in need of new life. So if you're here with kind of probing and exploring and you have questions about Christianity and you feel some curiosity and some hunger and you're kind of groping your way towards God, you can't do this on your own. None of us can. What you need to be crying out for and seeking from God is the miracle of the gift of his spirit so that you can be alive to God. And isn't that the only thing that gives us confidence as we witness and as we pray for those we love who also need to know Jesus? The Holy Spirit blows where he wills. And there is no one who is so dead or who is so lost in sin or so enslaved to the darkness. The Holy Spirit, by his mighty, sovereign world-creating, life-giving power cannot resurrect from spiritual death and give the miracle of new birth. So we just need to stop for a moment and thank the Holy Spirit for giving us new life and for continually sustaining our life and upholding us and breathing in every spiritual breath we draw and giving us every spiritual heartbeat that thumps in our chest. Because apart from the spirit, the church of God, we're just a bunch of dry bones bleached in the desert. And it's only when the wind of God blows upon those bones that they stand to their feet, a mighty army. The Holy Spirit is the giver of life. Do we long for life? Do we long for real life? 
as human beings were meant to live. Not just surviving on a material level without meaning or purpose or joy, but life and abundant life. That is what the Holy Spirit wants to give anyone who longs for it, life. And the second role of the Holy Spirit, the Nicene Creed mentions, which is very closely linked to the first, is that he is the agent of revelation. The Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets. A very helpful thing to remember as we go through the season of Advent and we hear these Old Testament prophecies of Jesus being read. These prophecies were spoken by the Holy Spirit. Because God is not a silent God waiting for us to fumble and grope our way towards him, to figure our way up some spiritual ladder of ascent, to solve the puzzle, to philosophize our way towards him. God wants to disclose himself to us. Sometimes we talk about God as though he's trying to hide from us and we need to hunt him down. God wants to show himself. He wants to speak. He has a word to give us. Because mere creatures could not possibly penetrate the mystery of God. He is hidden in thick clouds and darkness. He is far beyond the the understanding of these tiny, tiny little minds. Only the infinite can plumb the depths of the infinite. And only God himself can reveal God. That's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Spirit is the one who searches all things, even the depths of God. There is no aspect of God's character. There is no thought in God's mind. There is no plan in God's heart that is hidden from the all-seeing eye of the Holy Spirit. The Father is no mystery to the spirit. And it is this infinite spirit that the father has sent to speak to us. Blind fumbling in the darkness, a word comes so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So all these passages we're going to listen to throughout Advent These are prophets down through the centuries who received a word from the Lord. They were not the best and wisest and most educated and cleverest of Israel offering up their profound theological reflections on what the infinite might be. God himself has spoken. And these prophets heard a whisper in the wind, a word of what God was up to, to save Israel and to save all of humanity. As two Peter, second Peter tells us prophetic scripture never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy spirit. That's why we confess that these scriptures are God breathed. And we listen with reverence to what the Bible has to say, because this is the very voice of God. The speaking God. 
And we honor scripture because the Holy Spirit has spoken through it. And he still speaks to us today, to anyone who is willing to listen. And my task preaching here today and on any Sunday is not to offer up my own insights and clever ideas. You can chuck those all in the bin. They're not worth listening to. My only task here is to open and expound the word of God and let you hear the living voice of the spirit as he opens your heart to listen and to understand, to receive and to believe what God wants to say to you. Because apart from the work of the Holy spirit in your heart, removing the veil, giving you spiritual understanding, the Bible itself is nonsense. It's foolishness. We need the same Holy Spirit who spoke these words also to open our ears and open our hearts to receive what God has to say. And therefore, it's vital that we never, ever divide the spirit from the word of God. There's some crazy Christians who speak as though they love the Holy Spirit and somehow scripture is left far behind as they seek, you know, fresh revelations from God. The spirit is always working through and in his word. And if we are truly filled with the spirit, we're going to be directed again and again back to what God has said in scripture. I'm not saying the Holy spirit has stopped speaking that he doesn't have fresh things to say to us, but we always judge and assess and weigh those things by the word of God, where the spirit has already spoken because he will never contradict himself. We never divide the spirit from the word and we never divide the spirit from Jesus either. We worship a triune God. We don't want to be father only Christians or Jesus only Christians or spirit only Christians We want the full blessing and the full presence of the undivided Trinity among us. And Basil the Great, who was like the great theologian of the Holy Spirit in the fourth century wrote, it's impossible to see the image of the invisible God, Jesus. It's impossible to see the image except in the illumination of the spirit. The spirit shines upon Jesus so that we can see him and behold him in his glory. To change the image from a visual to an auditory one, we could say, the father is the speaker, the spirit is the voice, and the son is the word that is spoken. The spirit prophesies, but the prophecies are about Jesus. And the primary work of the Holy Spirit, and what a blessed work it is, is to continually direct our eyes to Jesus, as he says, much more powerfully than John the Baptist ever could, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Any genuine move of the Holy Spirit is always going to cause God's people to love and exalt and glorify and trust Jesus more. 
And the evil one is always threatened by it. And he's always working hard whenever there's genuine revival to twist and redirect and misdirect those things. So we falsely focus on a false image of the Holy Spirit and neglect Jesus. Frank Bartleman, I don't know if any of you know that name. He was the first journalist who went to Los Angeles in 1906 when the Azusa Street Revival was happening. The birth of the worldwide Pentecostal movement led by William Seymour, an African-American preacher and evangelist. And he was one of the first journalists who came there and he wrote a book called How Pentecost Came to Los Angeles. And later on, he wrote, any work that exalts the Holy Spirit or the gifts above Jesus will finally end in fanaticism. Whatever causes us to love and exalt Jesus is safe. Amen. The reverse will ruin all. Anything that causes us to depreciate Jesus, to forget Jesus, to move Christ into the background is going to ruin us. He wrote, the Holy Ghost is a great light, but focused on Jesus always for his revealing. The great work the Holy Spirit does is to give us a life-giving revelation of Jesus in our hearts. And here I'm bringing together the Spirit as the giver of life and the agent of revelation because he reveals Jesus which gives us life. He's the one who blows away the clouds of darkness so that Jesus, the son of righteousness can appear. And the spirit is the one who binds us to Christ. He is the one who unites you with Jesus and he gives you the gift of communion with him. And he helps you to enjoy every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. The spirit has been given so that we can understand and enjoy everything the father has given us through Jesus. Whether it's justification or forgiveness or cleansing or adoption or holiness or power for witness and mission, whether it's for enduring suffering, all those things, the Holy spirit gives us the power to do. And so we should never fear having too much of the Holy Spirit. No one in this world has ever had an excessive filling with the Holy Spirit, right? We should never be afraid of being filled with the Spirit. We should be aware of counterfeits that will seduce us away from the Scripture and from Christ. But sometimes those counterfeits can scare us away from the genuine article. And we don't want to make that mistake in an overreaction against weird and crazy things out there. We want to seek every spiritual gift and every manifestation of God that the Holy Spirit wants to give us. And I want to call this church to be praying and seeking and hungering and thirsting for more of the Holy Spirit. Our heavenly father is not going to give us a scorpion or a rock when we ask for bread or an egg. He wants to give the Holy spirit to us and we do not need to be afraid of the Holy spirit. If he wants to give prophecy or tongues or interpretations or miracles or healings or word of knowledge, 
whatever extraordinary or ordinary things the Holy Spirit wants to give us, we want to receive. We want to seek. As long as they're helping us to build up the body and helping us grow up into the head who is Christ. As long as these things help us exalt Jesus and help us become more like them, we want to receive everything that God wants to give to us. I do want this church to be solidly rooted on the word of God. I do want this to be a Christ-focused, Christ-exalting church. I love good order. I love historic liturgy. All those things are wonderful, but we need the living breath of the Holy Spirit to blow on all of that and help it to burn up in fire of worship to God. There is so much more that we can experience individually and as a church of the presence of the giftings of the Holy Spirit. And we should be asking God for everything that he wants to give us. Holy Spirit is the living divine expression of the grace of God. And therefore, we confess with the Nicene Creed, the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Every worship, every honor, every praise we give to the Father and to the Son, we also offer to the Holy Spirit. Some people, I think misleadingly speak of the modesty of the Holy Spirit as though he only wants us to be thinking of Jesus. And if we think of the Holy Spirit, we're somehow in sin. And yet I read these scriptures, which the Holy Spirit inspired, which speak of the Holy Spirit and his ministry again and again and again. We could spend five years preaching about the Holy Spirit and would not come close to exhausting what Scripture says. Here's the Holy Spirit showing up when the early church is praying and the building in which they are praying is shaken as the Holy Spirit arrives. I've known some shy people and that is not how they usually arrive at parties, right? The Holy Spirit comes in power and with glory And he gladly accepts our worship and our praise and our attention. And and people have asked me, Pastor Bart, is it okay to pray to the Holy Spirit? Well, he is God. It's not a sin to pray to God. It's a good thing to pray, come Holy Spirit. We should be breathing that prayer out constantly. As we also recognize the shape of The life of prayer is praying to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, as we have fully Trinitarian-shaped prayer that reflects the Trinitarian gospel. With the Nicene Creed, we confess we believe in the Holy Spirit. We say we believe, not like some people say, I believe in the Loch Ness Monster. I believe in Sasquatch. We believe in the Holy Spirit, not as some interesting, arcane, theoretical, faraway bit of doctrinal trivia. We believe in the Holy Spirit 
as the blessed fact of personal experience, as the person himself who has drawn near the beyond who is within, as one writer describes him. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is the answer to everything, to everything. There is no problem that cannot be solved. There is no hunger that cannot be satisfied. There is no obstacle that cannot be overcome once the Holy Spirit has been given to you. Do you question whether you're accepted by God, whether he really loves you? He gives the spirit of adoption and the spirit comes and he testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And he is the one causing us to cry out, Abba, Father. Do you struggle with sin in your life that you cannot overcome? God has given you his spirit. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can mortify the flesh and put sin to death. The Holy Spirit has been given to take away the veil and transform you degree by degree from glory to glory into the image of Jesus. Do you struggle with your prayer life? Do you wonder what to pray for, how to pray with power? The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and he prays within us, uttering groans that cannot be uttered to the father. Do any of you lack wisdom or are you having trouble making decisions in your life? God has given the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know and that we might do the spirit of God. Are you filled with fear and anxiety? God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power and self-control. Do you wonder about your future? God has given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He has sealed you with his Holy Spirit as the assurance that God will give what he has promised. Brothers and sisters, the gift of the Holy Spirit is promised to all of us because we are the children of God redeemed by the blood of Jesus. There is no one in this congregation who is even close to experiencing all that God wants to give us by his spirit. And we should all be asking boldly and persistently Give us more of your spirit, O Lord. Be filled with the spirit is a command. It is also God's invitation. And Jesus says the father will give his spirit freely to anyone who asks him. You must ask a prayer itself prompted by the Holy Spirit. You must ask. So let's open up our hands and open up our hearts and ask the Father to give us more of the Spirit, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Spirit poured out on your church by the ascended Jesus. We thank you that you have baptized us into your Spirit, that there is no Christian here who does not already have your Holy Spirit. And yet there's so much... Uh, more of his power and his presence 
for us to experience. We ask that you would fill us, O Lord, with all the fullness of God, so that we might know by the Spirit the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Lord, we are so weak and yet so deluded by complacency and self-sufficiency. And we foolishly imagine that we can manage things on our own. We even tell ourselves that we can manage the Christian life on our own. Forgive us for our folly, O Lord. Open our hearts up to receive, to drink and drink and drink of your Holy Spirit so that our hearts might rise so that the dark clouds would be blown away and we would feel Jesus himself, the son of righteousness shining on our souls. That as we behold him, we might by your spirit become more and more like him transformed into his image to the undivided glory of the father and the son and of the Holy spirit in his name. We pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.